Quick reminder, don't forget you have until November 24th to enter our SparkJoy giveaway. We'll announce our winners during our best of show on December the 1st. Head over to sparkjoypodcast.com forward slash iTunes for instructions on how to leave a star rating and written review for the show. Then send us an email to contact at sparkjoypodcast.com to let us know you've left a review. Be sure to include your iTunes username for a chance to win one of three coveted Kanmari themed prize bundles that will definitely spark joy in celebration of our three-year anniversary. Welcome to Spark Joy, the podcast dedicated to celebrating the Kamari method and the transformative power of surrounding yourself with joy and letting go of all the rest. With your hosts and certified Kamari consultants, Kristen Ivey and Karen Sochi. And now, here's the show. Be still. Focus on your breath. Reflect. Today, we explore meditation, a practice with deep cultural history and widespread contemporary relevance, a great complement to your Kanmari practice and lifestyle. Today's guest is Rachel Kanarowski. Rachel is a certified meditation coach based in Chicago who ditched her blazers after more than a decade in high-stress marketing and media jobs. Her program offers simple mindfulness practices proven to enhance your focus, increase your emotional intelligence, and release stress. Welcome to Spark Joy, Rachel. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Before we dive in to talk about all things related to meditation, we'd love to hear your story. How did you come about to become a coach in this very ancient practice? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. I tell this story often when I meet new people or even when I meet people in the meditation world and um, they're always a little bit surprised. I came to meditation totally by mistake. Actually, I came to it through a podcast. Every year, iTunes will do a new year, new you roundup of podcasts. And um, one year they had a podcast, The Upgrade, from the makers of Lifehacker. It was about finances. I thought, oh, this is really awesome. And I was listening to it and I went back to look at older episodes And they had an episode from the previous year that was called How to Find Real Love. And I thought, this is awesome. This is going to teach me how to hack my dating profiles. And I was so much looking forward to that good advice. And I turned it on and it was not about online dating at all. It was about loving kindness meditation, which is a different type of meditation I'd never heard of before. But the guest, Sharon Salzberg, who has a book that was out that year by the same name, Real Love. She was talking about how hard we can be on ourselves, and it felt like she was speaking directly to me. I mean, I had done a lot of the things that were supposed to make me happy. I had picked up and done an eat, pray, love and moved overseas when I was 24. I went from being a nanny in the Czech Republic to the editor-in-chief of InStyle magazine in the Czech Republic. I went to the fancy parties and drank the champagne. I then moved back to Chicago about eight years ago now, and I got the big job and I was making the money and I was, you know, sitting down with clients talking about their retail marketing, you know, the big names that you see in all the grocery stores. And it was awesome, but it didn't make me happy at the end of the day. And so at the time I was chasing partnership. I was sure that partnership would make me happy. And ultimately, we know that although partnership will raise your happiness for a little while, it doesn't make you truly happier long term. And so when I heard Sharon talking about self-kindness and learning how to be kinder to yourself, I knew that this was something big. And I was also really curious because I tried meditation in the past and I had downloaded one of the most popular apps and there were little cartoon characters and a guy talking me through to how to breathe and how my mind should be. And I thought at the time, I am a type A person. I am not the kind of person that has no thoughts. This doesn't work for me. But as we'll talk a little bit more, loving kindness meditation is actually a meditation where you go through phrases in your mind. And I thought, oh my goodness, you mean I can do something during meditation? I've got this. I am the do something kind of woman. And so I started to try it out. I bought Sharon's book on audio. I've listened to it many times since. And I immediately started to feel a really big shift in my relationship with myself. 
that voice in the back of my mind that was the voice that, you know, had often spurred me on to great things, you know, leading an international fashion magazine, you know, making the six-figure money at the marketing career for the prestigious firm. This voice that had spurred me on also caused me a lot of pain. And so I noticed as I started to practice loving kindness as a meditation technique that that voice kind of just the volume turned down a little bit on it. And I thought, this is something really special. You know, ultimately, I I continued to practice. And, um, you know, here I am today. COVID's thrown a lot of us a curveball. And for me, I had planned to eventually go into corporate consulting with meditation, helping high-performing individuals in the corporate world who are also the same people who are moms and dads and brothers and sisters helping them to create a practice that works for them. But I still had a six-figure job and I really loved it. And COVID came along and shifted things. You know, I was laid off in May and just very excited about it. And I think that that shows how much the practice works is that, you know, in a time when that was a really serious life change, it was actually a moment when I said, this is the time that I need to start offering this practice out to the world in a bigger way. So. If you had told me five years ago that I would be really into mindfulness and I would be finding a lot of value in my life and bringing it to other people as a career, I would have told you you were crazy. I love that story because you really were faced with a lot of different choices there and you just didn't give up. What is it about loving kindness that really sets it apart or works best for you? Yeah, I think it's important to say that you know, we just don't learn a lot about mindfulness practices and meditation here in the U.S. Meditation has had its moment, TM, transcendental meditation. So this is mantra-based meditation where you go and you do a special class and you are given sort of a mantra that only you know. And it's a silent word that you repeat in your mind. That had a big moment in the 60s with the Beatles. And then through the 70s and 80s, more recently, we've seen coaches and corporate people taking on mindfulness as a concept. And you've seen a lot of focus on breath meditation, for example, which is what a lot of us hear about in the beginning, these sort of traditional practices of just be with your breath. And that's a very important practice as well. And then you've got loving kindness, which is related to the Vipassana practices, but it's also very old. And In this practice, the phrases that you're repeating aren't just a sound or a word that has no meaning, and it's not an affirmation that you've chosen, but it's actually specifically phrases which offer kindness and compassion to a variety of different people. And in the full practice, which does take a while, you offer that kindness to a progression of people. You can go in different directions depending on what you need, but You offer that kindness to someone that you have unconditional care, unconditional love. Sometimes people offer that to a pet. So, you know, you could offer it to your cat or your dog in your mind. You offer that to yourself. You offer that to the proverbial stranger. So someone that you see and know, but don't have a relationship with. So this might be your dry cleaner or the person who checks you out at the grocery store very often. You bring them to mind. And then ultimately you move to a difficult person, someone who you are struggling with a little bit. You don't choose the most difficult person, but someone who you don't have a great personal or psychological relationship with at the time. And then ultimately you can extend that kindness, that care, that compassion out to what the people in meditation will call all beings everywhere. So animals, uh, people, you know, extend it out as far as you want. And it sounds A little bit hippy-dippy. I'll give you that. But I call myself a no-beads, no-incense, very science-based meditation coach. And what I love about loving kindness is that there is a lot of research out of different universities here in the U.S. and overseas, but particularly out of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. The professor up there, Richie Davidson, has done research on loving kindness and sees that it, it makes structural changes in our brains very quickly. And we actually have more access 
to those neural pathways which support compassion, both for ourselves and other people. So the phrases that Sharon uses are the phrases that I often use. May I be safe? May I be happy? May I be healthy? May I live with ease? And what you do is you repeat these phrases either to yourself or as a you. So you bring that person in mind. You don't have to say the specific person's name. But if I was sending it to you guys in my mind, I would think in my mind, may you be safe. May you be happy. Maybe you'll be healthy. And may you live with ease. And then ultimately, may everyone, may all beings be happy, safe, healthy, and live with ease. And your brain is is a really interesting, you know, organ in our body because even just to bring these thoughts into our minds actually gives your brain the same sort of feeling and sensation and creates those same neural pathways that you would have if you were really actually out there doing things. And so this doesn't mean that you don't take action when you can to help someone live happy, live safe, do those things, but it helps to create both that intention in yourself so you're able to recognize more when you can step in. And it's also very important, and this is one of the most important things for this time, it helps to refill your own cup. So when you think about, you know, kind of the cup of kindness that you have, you know, loving kindness can help that cup actually get bigger, I say. So, you know, when you've got a lot of people who are caregivers at the moment, you've got You know, you're a mom and on top of your job at the moment, you're also taking care of your family at home. Or, you know, you are taking care of your mom or dad. Maybe they're not even with you, but they're on your mind a lot right now because you've got stress related to the pandemic. You know, we have a lot of expectations of care for others on us right now. And it's really important that we take time to put some of that self-compassion back on ourselves because it's an incredibly important time to refill your own cup. As I'm listening to you, I'm just nodding my head because I really like what you had to say about your inner voice because my inner voice has certainly led me to some really bad decisions. And that is very interesting to think about the ability to change our thinking at a, a neurological level. The question, does it spark joy, is a simple one, but not so easy to execute alone. Extend your tidying experience by joining the Spark Joy Club, our online community filled with our clients, fellow listeners, and Kamari enthusiasts ready to support your journey. If you find yourself buried under clothing, stuck on storage, or pointing fingers at untidy housemates or family members, we want to help you finish your tidying journey once and for all. Support the show at the Joy Riser level and receive access to our exclusive virtual community, as well as the Tidy Home Joy Journal, your number one tidying companion. Visit sparkjoypodcast.com and click on Join the Club to get started. And now back to the show. I'm really interested in knowing how meditation has impacted your day-to-day life. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think my life as a practitioner is quite similar to the life that anybody can have with mindfulness practices such as loving kindness or breath meditation. Whatever practice feels right for you is the one that you should do for a while. Find one that works for you and stick with it for a few months. I work meditation into my daily schedule as much as I can. And I'll be honest, I'm not the really tough type who's sitting in the corner on a cushion for an hour every morning and thinking about everybody who's not meditating and judging them. (laughs) I think when we talk about mindfulness or meditation, it's really important to think about where we're going to fit in into our life as a habit. So for me, one of the places that I've really loved, especially when the weather is warmer, when I've really loved fitting in meditation in my everyday is... I've got an old school coffee machine. It brews the coffee while I'm asleep. I wake up, I go, the coffee's already made. I pour my cup of coffee and I go to sit outside on my balcony and I set the coffee down. And while the coffee is cooling, that's when I do my meditation. 
other people do it while their coffee is brewing. So they might set the coffee to brew and then sit down and they can hear the sounds of the coffee brewing, smell it brewing, and they can do their meditation during that time. I love to talk to people about their routines and say, where do we have an opportunity for mindfulness in your everyday? And it's generally better to have it anchored towards your morning because you know you're not going to put it off and things aren't going to change. Usually our morning routine is pretty stable. So in the non-pandemic days, you might be taking your kids to school or taking your kids to daycare or even just driving to an office if you don't have children, getting on the train. But I like to say, you know, when you park in that parking lot or just as soon as the kids get out and you haven't pulled away yet, take that time, do your five minutes, do your 10 minutes right there because you're going to set your day up for success from the very beginning. And if you miss a day, that's okay. This is another opportunity to show yourself kindness. You miss two weeks, that's fine. But as with when you're in meditation, noticing when your mind has wandered, notice when your habit has wandered and use as an opportunity not to berate yourself, not to say, oh, I'm so bad. Oh, I need to start over again. And I, oh, it's going to be so hard and I failed. But instead, showing yourself kindness and just using it as an opportunity to start again, which ultimately building those neural pathways is all about showing yourself kindness and then starting again. It really supports those. So the last thing that I would say, and I throw in here because there's so much said about 21 days to start a habit, 28 days, 30 days, everybody's got their own program that they sell you. And I don't do a lot of one-on-one meditation coaching. I work with companies. So here is my advice to you. There is no magic number of days to create a habit. That's completely made up. It's taken out of a very unofficial study from a long time ago. And if you want to do a 21-day program and force yourself through it, then fine. If that feels good to you, then you can. But just because you miss a couple days doesn't mean you're not creating the habit. You're creating the habit by choosing an activity that happens on a reliable basis and then stacking meditation or mindfulness practices together with whatever that other thing is. I think that's so important. I mean, literally in the name of the style of meditation that you practice, loving kindness is the word kind. And I think we always think about kindness as an outward thing, but it's so important to make sure we give ourselves a break when we miss a day, as you said, or some thoughts enter our mind when we're supposed to be being still. I think we should probably address at this moment all of the the myths and misconceptions. And you've already touched on some of I know with you know wellness practices, mindfulness practices, things like holistic healing, yoga, meditation, even Kanmari, there's a lot of noise out there or interpretations of them that can kind of be confusing as they're further adopted into popular culture. Can you help us uh, demystify meditation a little bit and share any common myths or misconceptions that you hear? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is something that I feel particularly passionate about. There are so many different types of teachers and coaches and apps out there. And like I said, first and foremost, use the one that's right for you. But I personally am not so much on the woo-woo side, as we would call it, you know, kind of the spiritual side of this practice. I don't come to this practice as a Buddhist, although I'm very inspired by a lot of things that the Buddhists have in their writings. But I really think that what we all have to know is you don't have to become a Buddhist or you don't have to, you know, get special equipment in order to meditate. And, you know, we all know that when you do the new exercise routine, it can be really exciting to, you know, get the special equipment. And that's fun. And if you want to do that, then go ahead. But the first myth that I think I would talk about is you don't need an ideal setting in order to meditate or in order to practice mindfulness, which are practicing these qualities of meditation, being still with yourself. You don't need a special room with a special soundtrack and, you know, bells. And we see a lot of this sort of these props around meditation and they look fun and they, they look cool. And if you want them, then great, but you don't need them in order to start meditating. I actually think that it's better if you don't have an ideal setting, because if you are in your house where you can kind of hear the TV in the other room that your partner is watching, 
or you are in a building where, I don't know if you guys could hear it, but I could just hear a siren go by and you've got the sounds of the city. That's real life. And when you need the practice, you're not going to be able to step into the special room with the beautiful incense and, you know, put on the other clothes. We need to learn how to really use these practices when we're in the moment when things aren't perfect. I teach for the staff of the Chicago Department of Public Health, and I started that after the COVID pandemic began. And I mean, these are people who are on the front line of responding to both the pandemic crisis but also all the other social agencies that help to support our city and its health and mental well-being. And these are people who can't step away into these perfect environments all the time. I think very few of us can step away into a perfect environment. And so learning how when you feel that anxiety rising and you're sitting, you know, at your, you know, makeshift desk for work from home, like how do I deal with that stress and that discomfort in that moment? So that brings me to the Second myth, which is probably the most common myth when it comes to mindfulness and meditation, is that it's all about clearing your mind. And it is not about clearing your mind at all. That's what we think because we imagine that this Zen bliss and, you know, floating above the ground and sparkles and unicorns, that that's going to happen when we clear our mind completely. And I, I think many of us wish for this mystical experience where suddenly we'll realize that three hours have gone by and we didn't even notice. I mean, let's stop and be realistic for a minute, right? If three hours have gone by and you didn't notice, something is probably either very special or very out of balance in your life. (laughs) And most of us don't have time in the workday or in our day at home with our family to have three hours go by and, and we didn't know. So I would just say that It's not about clearing your mind. What it's about is reinforcing, ultimately, these neural pathways to get us out of what's called the default mode network in our brain, which is that constantly all day, you're sort of lost in thought, more or less, right? And it's noticing when your mind has wandered into that pattern of being lost in thought again, and then bringing your mind back to whatever the anchor of your meditation is. So whether or not your anchor is that mantra and you're going back to that mantra in your mind or that anchor is the loving kindness phrases and you go back to those in your mind or your anchor can be anything in your five senses, a sense, physical sense of breath as we talked about with breath meditation, which is not about manipulating your breath, but it's about just noticing where you feel your breath come in and out of your body. You can use the anchor of sound. So bringing your attention back to what are the sounds in the room and in the world around me. I love using sound as an anchor for my practices in that way because it really reinforces that we don't need to be in this perfect environment again, and we can just allow whatever sounds are happening to meet us where we are. You can use taste or smell as the anchor for your mindfulness practice, but just noticing when your mind has wandered and that default mode network has kicked up again And giving your brain a little bit of a break from that default mode network and building the strength in that neural pathway not to be stuck in lost in thought all day, but to be able to be intentional about where your thought is. And then the most important thing for me right now, especially during this time, is that meditation is going to fix everything. I am a white woman, and that's very obvious to me when I'm teaching, and I don't want to walk into a room with anyone who doesn't look like me and have them think that I am there to teach them mindfulness and it'll just fix everything that they're going through because that's not true. What we need to remember is that the fears, the concerns, you know, the anxiety that we have, the underlying causes of that anxiety will probably still be there when we finish our practice. And that ultimately what we're doing is helping our brain get stronger, helping our brain get more stable, get more grounded so that we're able to take action where it's needed. And as I said, particularly during this time, no matter what your political affiliation or your personal home life is like, people out there in our communities are struggling. And I don't ever want to walk into a room and have anybody think that if they know meditation well enough that everything in their life is going to change because it won't. But I'll tell you when it will change. And this is one of the times when you know that it's working. Something's going to happen after you've been practicing for a few weeks. 
And it's going to be something that normally would have really set you off. So right before we started to record, I poured some water, had it in a water bottle, and I set it down on the floor near where I'm recording. And there's cords there. And I kicked the water over. And half the water bottle guggled onto the floor. (laughs) And normally, I would say an expletive. (laughs) And, oh, you know, you're, you're so stupid. How could you have put it on the floor? Oh, this is, you know, and just like been frazzled. And instead, you know, I would, huh, you know, I could see that it wasn't an emergency. There was no electricity where it was spilled. I knew I had a towel right around the corner. So I just reached over and I grabbed the towel and I sopped up the water and I went on with my day. Whereas in the past, I know if something like that had happened, you know, you break the glass, the traffic is where you didn't expect the traffic to be, whatever the thing is that would normally set you off in a big way that ultimately isn't a big deal. Glass is broken, big deal, right? You clean it up. You're careful about it. The traffic is there. You can't change the traffic. You notice that you just don't react in the same way. You don't get stuck in those patterns of anger and those patterns of negativity and self-blame over and over again. And that is ultimately when you know that you're doing a great job with your practice. Well, speaking of more everyday things, How have you been able to apply your meditation practice to things such as home organizing or tidying up? I love this question. I am a secret obsessed with my home person. I love my home. Martha Stewart was an idol for me when I was younger and growing up. I loved looking at her magazine in the early 90s and her good things and her organizing. And I loved hearing about Komari's method when it came out. And I definitely have my socks and underwear drawer very nicely organized now. It brings me so much joy. But at the same point, I think it's really important with a method like KonMari that we're really careful with that hidden perfectionist in the back of our brain. My practice helps me to be kinder to myself when everything isn't perfect or isn't sparking joy immediately. I had a box of pictures that I went through the other day, and I had intended to go through this box of pictures for a really long time. And the perfectionist in me would have wanted to go through this box as soon as I found it. I've got to go through, see, what do I keep? What do I, what do I get rid of? But I was able to set that aside. And then when I had a day that felt right, I took that box out and I went through the pictures. And it was a really wonderful experience. And I was able to be there with it. I was able to focus on the task at hand, which I think is another thing that mindfulness practices can bring to you is not getting lost in thought as you're going through things in your home and you're trying to figure out, does this spark joy? Does this not? It's very easy when these are things you're pulling out of your closet you might have not seen for a long time. It's very easy to go down memory lane and then suddenly three hours have passed and you don't know where they went. But it can bring more focus to the task at hand. And when we talk about self-blame as well, when you're pulling things out of those closets, And you're seeing, you know, oh, that exercise equipment that you were really excited about and you bought it because you were really excited about, but you haven't used it yet. You don't have to blame yourself. You can actually let go with more ease and with more kindness to yourselves when you find items around your home that are like that. So it just mindfulness meditation can help lower the stress around this perfect ideal and it can lower the kind of emotional charge that we have around items that might be hiding from our view for good reason, because we might be holding some shame and some displeasure around those things. I think that's so important because that is a trap or a cycle that we can land ourselves in, whether it is trying to incorporate meditation practice or trying to finish our KonMari event where we can't seem to get that consistency down or feel like it's officially done. And so I love that you can use the meditation to kind of be kinder to yourself and recognize, okay, like uh, this is the best option I can find. There's nothing better than that. And I think that takes a lot of uh, practice to really get intentional and to be like focused on the present. So we've talked a lot about meditation so far, and we might have some listeners who are just getting started, maybe someone who has never meditated before at all or 
maybe someone like I just described who's tried to meditate but can't seem to make their practice consistent. So for those who are new to this, where should we begin? That's a great question. And I'd say begin as soon as you can. Go and find an app that works for you, something that excites you. There are a bunch of opportunities out there, a bunch of different options. You've got Headspace, Calm, Unplug, the studio that I did my teacher training with, has an app where you've got the teachers who are teaching celebrities in L.A., I love 10% Happier with the news anchor Dan Harris because they've got a lot of the leading teachers in the country doing full courses. So you can actually choose the loving kindness approach or choose the, the breath meditation approach and you can get instruction from the best teachers that are in the U.S. right now for that method. So choose an app, I'd say, is a great place to start. All of these apps usually come with a certain number of free days as a trial. And so if you find that that app doesn't work for you, then that's all right. You can go ahead and cancel your subscription and try out a different one. But go ahead and and pick one that that seems appealing and put it on your phone. Open it up, take a look, sort of navigate around and choose what practice you want to start with. And you can look for a loving kindness practice. Um, Sharon Salzberg is the leading teacher with loving kindness. Oh, there's also Tara Brock and Pema Chodron who are really well-known in that space. And then the next thing that I want you to do is I want you to think about your day, your morning, and I want you to find a spot in your morning where you're going to be able to anchor in, habit stack in your meditation. So on a piece of paper, I want you to think about what you do in the morning and where you might be able to find an extra 10 or 15 minutes. And then tomorrow morning when you wake up, I want you to pull out the app when you come to that time in your schedule and they want you to practice then. And then see afterwards, like, how did that feel? And if it feels like the right time and you didn't feel like you were really rushed and you couldn't make the time, then you found the spot where you're going to stack meditation into your daily routine. If it doesn't feel right, if you did have a lot of distractions, maybe the dog wanted to go out for a walk and it was bothering you, or, you know, your kids were up already, Maybe look for another time in your morning, go back to that list of what your morning activities are and see where else you might be able to try to stack that habit and find the spot that feels right for you. And then I'd say, practice every day that you can remember. And if you don't remember, don't be hard on yourself. You can always go back to it. And as I said, you're reinforcing that neural pathway in your brain when you notice that you're not doing it and you're kind to yourself. And you go back to doing it again. Sometimes you might decide to do it again immediately. And then the next day, stack it back with your morning routine. As COVID's happening and we have a lot of schedules that are disrupted and routines that are disrupted, don't be hard on yourself if any of your routines in life have gotten off kilter. Because what we know from the science of habit creation is that when you have a major disruption to your daily routine or to the place where you normally do things. So you used to go to an office and now you don't go to the office anymore. Your kids used to go to school in a school and now they're doing school from home. When these things are disrupted, it will throw even very strong habits off. So as we see things start to open up again after the pandemic, and you might be listening to this in the future, the pandemic might not even be something important, but you might have another You might know you're going on vacation or you're moving to a new city or you're starting a new job. Anytime that you see a big disruption coming in your schedule, think about the habits that you have that you want to keep and think about the habits that you don't have yet that you would like to start and proactively plan for that time. So as we start to see things open up and we are going back to offices again or we're taking the kids to school again and we're going to maybe a church service on the weekend, whatever change is going to happen in your daily schedule, plan proactively for it whenever you can before it happens, because that's going to be a great moment. It's going to be a springboard for you to start those new habits that you haven't started yet, and also to make sure that you continue the habits that are important to you. We're all spending a bit more time at home these days for the health and safety of ourselves, our family, and our community. Are you feeling a little too close to your clutter for comfort? 
Maybe you're buried under stuff in the home office or craft space, or you're trying to carve out dedicated space for work or homeschool in your basement or on your dining room table. Or maybe you've noticed just how much time you're wasting looking for important papers and emails instead of shifting your time, energy, and resources towards the things that truly matter. During quarantine, my number one priority is to get as many people as possible clutter-free and prepared for the other side of this challenging season. If you're regularly asking yourself, where should I put this? Or am I letting go of enough? Or am I even doing this right? As you can Mari, a customized virtual tidying experience may be the perfect next step for you. While stay-at-home ordinances are activated, I'm continuing to offer virtual Kanmari-based active tidying lessons, including a tidy desk special, perfect for those working or learning from home. Visit ForTheLoveOfTidy.com and click Free Consult to discuss the various virtual organizing options available to help you dig out and choose joy once and for all. I want to make sure that we're doing a practice together. This is a practice that you could use for your everyday practice if you had a shorter moment for a mindfulness meditation. And in this practice, we're going to go ahead and use physical sensation as the anchor, but we're not going to use our breath necessarily. So if you can, at home, if you're not driving or working out right now, I want you to go ahead and stand up. All right, so you're not standing in a special way, just standing like normal, right? Standing is something that we do a lot during our day, which is why I like to offer this practice to you. You can find you can do this when you're standing in line somewhere. You can do it before a meeting. If you're standing next to the meeting table or if you're even, you know, waiting in the line at at the ATM, that's a great time to do something like this. So we're standing. And if you would like to, if you're not in a place where you need to pay attention, you can go ahead and allow your eyes to softly close. If you find that this is difficult because of balance or you're in some place where it would be odd to close your eyes, you can go ahead and just keep a soft gaze on the floor a few feet ahead of you, and that can help you with your balance as well. And if any time during this practice, if you feel your balance get a little bit uneasy, it's okay to reach out and, you know, stabilize yourself somewhere. Or you can even do this practice if you're sitting down. So if you are in a car right now, we're going to start bringing our awareness to the sensations on the bottom of our feet. We're going to start to feel our feet supporting us. And let's go ahead and we will take one long, nice, deep breath in through our nose together. And out through your mouth. And allowing that awareness to come down to the soles of your feet. We're not manipulating our breath in any special way anymore. Just like to do a nice deep breath sometimes just to give ourselves a little bit of extra nervous system relaxation as we start. And although our feet are supporting us all day long, we often don't even notice the sensations on the bottom of our feet. And so just notice what kind of sensations are there. You might feel some tingling. You might feel some pressure. You might even feel some pain in your feet. And if that's the case, Try not to get lost in thoughts about the pain, you know, what the pain could mean or you need to get different shoes or whatever the story might be about the pain. Just try to keep the attention and the awareness on just the sensations themselves. And if the sensation is pain, then the sensation is pain, discomfort. All right, and you'll notice that you've balanced yourself. And what we're going to do is just very slowly and carefully, you know, you want to be very careful with your balance. We're going to lean just a little bit over to the left so that our weight starts to shift just a little bit onto that left foot. And we're not going to pick our right foot up. We're going to leave it on the ground, but just shift a little bit more of that weight into that left foot. Notice how the sensations change for you. 
if we get lost in thought and just remembering we're bringing our attention then back to the sensations in our feet, just showing a little bit of interest. What's happening there? You can shift your weight back to center. And then leaning just a little bit over to the right, not a lot. We want to be careful. And allowing that balance of the weight to shift onto your right foot. You might notice how the sensations change in your left foot as well as you do this. You might have a little bit of tingling, less pressure. Coming back to center again. And we're going to be really careful doing this, but we're just going to allow our weight to shift into the balls of our feet a little bit. So we're not going to lean too far forward, but just allowing our weight to be supported on the front of our feet, noticing the changes there. And when you're ready, shifting that weight back more into our heels. Be careful here. And noticing the changes there and allowing yourself to come back to center. And notice how the ground is really there to support you. We're standing on our feet. Our feet is, are supporting us. But ultimately, that ground is there to really be there for us. You might take a few breaths here and just connect to that awareness of that support that you're getting from the ground literally underneath our feet. And then if you'd like to, you can go ahead and let yourself sway just a little bit side to side or front to back, whatever feels good for you. Feeling the shift that's happening with our feet touching the floor when we do that. This practice is sometimes called bamboo in the wind. And bringing yourself back to center. Just remembering during our very busy days that literally the ground beneath our feet is something that we can always count on to be there for us. It's always there to support us and we can always bring our awareness down to the soles of our feet to remember that. I was really struck by how easy it was to focus on my feet. A couple of times, I'll be honest, my mind did wander to what I have to do for the rest of the day. But for the most part, because I had something to focus on, it was really easy to maintain that. That was amazing. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. And that's an example of just one way that we can bring our awareness into our five senses. So we were using the sense of touch, right? Our feet touching the floor. But you can bring awareness to any of your five senses. Just make sure that if you are using that particular sense, you want to stay with that sense throughout the entire meditation. Whether or not you're doing it for five minutes, 10 minutes, two minutes, 30 seconds, you don't want your awareness to move from, okay, now I smell something, now I hear something, now I feel something. You want to be using that sense as the anchor to bring your attention back to over and over and over again throughout whatever the period is that you've set for yourself. Would you say that that is a great technique for people who need to get a moment of stability during, you know, everything that's going on right now? Is that something that you would recommend during this time of uncertainty? Absolutely. I think anything that can help our brain have less anxiety when we truly can't change anything in the moment is a really important technique for us right now. So yes, these classic mindfulness techniques bringing your attention to one particular anchor is very helpful and something that you can pull out of your sort of toolbox whenever you need it. Fantastic. Well, you have shared so many unique meditation tips at this point in the show. We ask our guests for their favorite organizing tip. You're welcome to share your favorite meditation tip or any wellness type of advice you have that has really been top of the list for you. Absolutely. One of my favorite tips related to creating a, a health habit is think about how you ultimately want to feel. 
So if you can choose just a word or two about how you want to feel in general in your life throughout your day, then you can use that to start to navigate towards the right health habit for that area of your life. Because we know exercise will raise our baseline happiness, but not all of us like to exercise in the same way. I've noticed that being in community with people and feeling that sense of communion between others and myself is a very important way that I like to feel. And so I've noticed that I really enjoy doing exercise when I can be with someone else. Now, right now, that's very difficult because it's hard to be with people in the same space. So I've had to pivot and look at how else do I want to feel? I like to feel expansive. And that means expanding my mind, expanding my body. And so I will use the time that I'm doing cardio, use the time in the gym to listen to a podcast, or even I'm that crazy person on the treadmill and I have a book and a highlighter and I'm doing fast walking on a grade and I'm, I'm highlighting out my book because I'm using that time to expand my mind as I'm also expanding my health. There have been other exercises that I've tried that have not worked at all because I thought they would make me feel the way I want to feel and they haven't. So swimming is one. I thought swimming would be so much fun because I had to hire a swimming coach to teach me the swimming, which would give me that sense of community. And then I would also feel, I thought, expansive because I was going to be swimming through the water and I had this imagination, you know, this secret perfectionist in my mind. I imagined what it'd be like to swim laps. The pool was cold. (laughs) Water was going up my nose a lot. I was really trying hard to learn and still I just couldn't seem to learn how to do the freestyle stroke. And so it only took me two lessons to say, this doesn't make me feel the way that I want to feel. And that's okay. You can always go back to the drawing board with these health habits. We know that sleep is an important health habit. So how can you support your sleep habit and make yourself feel the way that you want to feel? So, you know, maybe it's getting different bedding or I've even, you know, attached my TV to the kind of uh, smart plug that turns off at a certain time every night. So I can't binge watch TV all night. And then I know I'm guaranteed to get that sleep that's ultimately going to leave me feeling the way that I want to feel when I wake up the next morning. So I'd say, take a step back and ask yourself, sort of a values exercise, but it's a feeling-based value. How do you want to feel? And don't put too much pressure on it. Just choose some words that feel right to you and then use those as guides into, does this practice actually make me feel that way? Because usually when you've got resistance, when it's creating a health habit, it's because it doesn't make you feel the way you want to feel. Nobody wants to feel guilty and sweaty and miserable when they're exercising, you know? So look and see if there's a different fitness routine or a different way that you can set up your sleep or a different way that you can create community safely during this time that still makes you feel the way that you want to feel. Well, Rachel, of course, we have to ask, what is sparking the most joy for you at this very moment? (laughs) That's a great question. I am taking more pictures. I noticed that as, you know, I normally travel a lot. Travel is a really important thing to me, both, you know, to national parks and other parts of the U.S., but also around the world. I love that sort of expansive sense of being in a new place, new people, new food, music, all the things. And when I travel, I take a lot of pictures. But right now, I'm not traveling. And so I've started to take pictures around my neighborhood every day. And I've started to share those pictures out on my Instagram with my friends and with my followers because I'm hoping that I can just spark a little bit more joy in their day too. So, you know, we've really, during this time, we've seen the seasons change because we've been outdoors and present more. And so I've been able to take a lot of pictures of the seasons changing and to share those. And it's just nice to not feel like life is on pause but to feel like there's still joy and beauty in the world, even during this strange time. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for sharing all of these great meditation practices that we can integrate into our home. Do you have any parting words of wisdom for our listeners? Yes, I'd say when it comes to establishing a meditation habit or a mindfulness habit, call it whatever you want, just a a habit of, you know, intentional presence for yourself in your life. Reach out to someone if you're having questions about this. Your listeners can find me. We'll put my Instagram handle in the show notes. If you're having questions about mindfulness, about meditation, it's not working for you. Something feels weird or feels off. 
reach out to a life person and ask that question because there are a whole list of frequently asked questions that come up that everyone deals with as they're starting this habit because we don't create this habit for ourselves growing up in the U.S. or growing up in Canada. We just uh, are more removed from this very important mental health practice. And because it's a time when our mental health has never been more important to our experience in the world, reach out to someone if you have questions. And like I said, your listeners can feel free to reach out to me on DM, on Instagram, anytime. I'd be happy to send you a voice note. And um, I'm happy to be there as a resource to point you in the right direction. I don't think of myself as a meditation teacher. I think of myself as a meditation and mindfulness coach. And there are just amazing teachers and amazing resources out there for you. And I'm happy to point you in the right direction. Fantastic. And can you let our listeners know where to find you, your website and social media? Yes, absolutely. Your listeners can find me on Instagram at Rachel Kanarowski. And we'll go ahead and put that in the show notes because I have a really long and hard to spell last name. You can also find me on the web at rachelkanarowski.com where I have my offer for companies. So if anybody listening out there happens to be working at a company that might want mindfulness meditation coaching, this is something that I offer. And if you're interested, I'll also be starting a podcast soon called Year of Living Better. And we'll link that in the show notes once it's live. But there I'll be interviewing all the experts around the science of well-being and the science of happiness, the people who are really out there doing the research, not just trying something that works for them and then telling everybody else about it, but what really can change your behavior? Where can you build these habits? What will help support you in living that life that's better? And I'll be starting that podcast very soon. Well, we are excited about a new podcast in the space of wellness. We'll make sure to share that with our listeners when it goes live and link it in the show notes to this episode. With that, thanks so much, Rachel, for not only coming on and demystifying meditation, but also helping us integrate this into our practice at home and guide us through an active live session here so we can apply these practices as soon as right now, today. Thank you, Rachel, so much. We really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you both as well. It's been such a pleasure to be a guest here for you. And I hope that you're both able to show yourself more kindness and more compassion as we go into the rest of our weeks. So now we want to hear from you. Tell us your burning, tidying questions or share stories about how Kanmari has impacted your life. Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and review the show, which helps us reach others along their tidying journeys. To extend your tidying experience, you can join the SparkJoy Club. Visit sparkjoypodcast.com and click join the club to become a member of the SparkJoy community or join us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for tuning in and we hope your day sparks joy. Thank you for listening to Spark Joy with your hosts, Kristen Ivey of For the Love of Tidy in Chicago and Karen Sochi of The Serene Home in New York City. Spark Joy, the podcast, is not endorsed by or affiliated with Kamari Media Inc. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the co hosts and guests alone and do not represent the corporate position of Kamari Media Inc. or the Kamari Consultant Community.